Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Esme Murphy Show. I'm John Hinderocker sitting in for Esme tonight. It's been a lot of fun. We've, uh, I didn't really plan it this way, but we spent the first two hours of the show uh, talking about mining in Minnesota. And I, I, now I want to change gears and, and talk about something different, although um, some relationship to that topic. And, and let me begin before getting to the specific news story by just talking a little bit about Minnesota's uh, competitiveness. Um, Minnesota has a lot of things uh, going for the state. We have a hardworking population, healthy population, uh, well-educated population. We have a, a strong history uh, of corporate development here. We have an unusually diverse economy, more so than a large majority of states. And there have been times in the past when Minnesota's economy has performed very, very well. And the concern that I have and a lot of people have um, is that in recent years, uh, while Minnesota continues to have some some real advantages, our actual economic performance has not been that great. If you look at whether it's personal income gain, uh, job gains, uh, GDP growth, Minnesota ranks uh, either below average or average uh, compared with the other uh, the other forty nine states. If you look at productivity, which is an absolutely critical metric because it's productivity that ultimately joined, uh, j- uh, drives uh, wages and incomes, you simply can't ultimately <laughs> – maybe you can pull it off for a while, but ultimately you simply can't get paid more than you produce. And, and Minnesota workers on the average are significantly less productive than American workers as a whole. We're significantly below average in – worker productivity, both in the service sector and in the manufacturing sector. And so those are some some real serious issues in Minnesota's economy. And here in Minnesota, I think a lot of people tend to think that the Twin Cities metro area is kind of a booming uh, metropolis. Maybe greater Minnesota is not doing so well, but surely the Twin Cities are near the top of the heap when it comes to uh, creating wealth and uh, e- economic development. Unfortunately, that's not true. The picture is quite different from that. Actually, there are some areas of greater Minnesota that are really doing very well, whereas other areas of greater Minnesota are doing quite poorly. But as far as the Twin Cities metropolitan area is concerned, again, it is a slow growth area in terms of population compared to other major metropolitan areas. And if you look at the last uh, 18 years, the 21st century, the Twin Cities metropolitan area is below average compared with other, other major metropolitan areas, the top 15, say, in, uh, in GDP growth uh, as well as in job creation. And so um, 
a lot of people in in Minnesota, particularly those who are active in the business world, uh, believe that our state needs to become more competitive with other states so that we can uh, grow our economy more rapidly and bring more uh, good-paying jobs to this state. And uh, one of the things we see year after year is that there are more people uh, leaving Minnesota for other states than there are people leaving other states to come to Minnesota. Why is that? Well, there's a lot of reasons why people move. Obviously, climate is a reason. Family is a reason. There's all kinds of reasons. But one constant is economic opportunity. If you have good-paying jobs, people will come to your state and apply for those jobs. That is a constant. And the more economic opportunity you have in a state, the more people are going to want to live there. And when we see people uh, leaving Minnesota more frequently than people want to come to Minnesota, I, I think we have to recognize that we have a problem, that um, we need to make ourselves more competitive. And so that's why I want to talk about an article that was in the, in the Star Tribune just yesterday, and it has to do with the United States Army. The headline of the article is, Army chose Austin for a new command because of its strong STEM ecosystem. And we'll talk about what that means in just a moment. I want to just walk through a, a portion of this article and, and, and talk about it with you. It says, U.S. Army officials said Friday that Austin, Texas, will be the home of the Army Futures Command Research and Development Operation because it has the right mix of STEM workers and industries, quality of life, private sector innovation, and cost of living. Austin beat out the Twin Cities and other finalists, Philadelphia, Boston, and Raleigh, North Carolina, for the command, the Army's fourth and considered an important economic development investment and the biggest reorganization of the Army since 1973. And a lot of this had to do with the STEM resources available in the cities that were competing to, to get this project. STEM, of course, stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, and Mathematics. And the Star Tribune article says the STEM factors, both in academics and in research and development, were key, as well as assessment of civic support and proximity to private sector innovation. And so what we're seeing here is that, once again, we've seen a long series of, of these competitions where the Twin Cities and Minnesota fell short. We're seeing that once again, here it's the Army that is looking for a place to locate this very high-tech, very desirable, very lucrative uh, operation. And the Twin Cities were one of five cities or metropolitan areas that were contending uh, to, um, to host this uh, Army Futures Command research and development operation, but, but, but we didn't get it. Uh, we were one of the losing uh, competitors. And instead, it went to Austin, Texas. Well, one of the reasons that I went to Austin, Texas is because Austin is swimming with STEM workers. It is, it is uh, flooded with uh, high-tech workers and high-tech expertise, and it is a tremendous hotbed of innovation. Uh, have, you, have you ever wondered where is it that Apple, uh, Apple Computer Company, now just Apple Inc., has the largest number of employees? Is it in Silicon Valley? Is it uh, maybe in China? Is it uh, uh, someplace else, uh, San Francisco, someplace else in the United States? Well, the answer to that question is that Austin, Texas, 
is the home to more employees of Apple than any other place in the world, including Silicon Valley. Why is that? Well, Texas doesn't have a state income tax, for one thing. Housing in Texas is relatively inexpensive, certainly compared to the Twin Cities, and there are an enormous number of high-tech workers and high-tech resources in that area to support all of these various companies that are, that are moving down there. So when we see this kind of a story where the Twin Cities are trying to get a very valuable, desirable, high-tech operation, this one run by the U.S. Army, but we see time after time the Twin Cities are losing out to other parts of the country that are seen as having more desirable characteristics. We're going to go to a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk some more about what the Twin Cities can do to be more successful in these kinds of competitions. Welcome back to the Esme Murphy Show. We've been talking about uh, economic competitiveness here in the Twin Cities and in particular about this story in yesterday's Star Tribune about the Army Futures Command deciding where to locate this big technical operation. The Twin Cities happily were one of five uh, contenders for that award. Unhappily, we didn't get it. Austin, Texas did. Austin has been getting a lot of projects of that sort lately. They've got an enormous number of tech workers there, an enormous number of tech jobs and uh, the STEM jobs and STEM resources of, of all kinds. I want to just go back uh, for, for a moment to the Star Tribune story and, and see what else uh, it tells us about why some cities are more successful than others in, in getting these kinds of projects. It says – the Army Futures Command is tasked with providing the technology needed to modernize and prepare the largest U.S. military branch for future conflicts. It is expected to bring about 500 personnel to Austin as well as projected partnerships in the private sector that will likely lead to hundreds more high-tech jobs. So this is the kind of business every city wants to get. All of these jobs are high-tech and all of these jobs are well-paid. The article goes on. Other factors considered, McCarthy said, were mature entrepreneurial incubator hubs. Very interesting. The Twin Cities used to be known uh, for its entrepreneurial spirit and resources and, and venture capital. That's not true anymore. Uh, currently, uh, Minnesota is well below average, well below average in, uh, in venture capital uh, per job or, or, or per capita. So the, the article goes on. Uh, mature entrepreneurial incubator hubs, access to a top-tier university system, science and engineering department, expandability for other services and companies to join the Army's efforts, a dense pool of industry and academic talent, as well as a reasonable cost of doing business to allow for startups and draw established tech firms. So I want to focus on those last couple of points, the dense pool of industry and academic talent. One of the things that's going on here is that these uh, high-tech jobs, these STEM jobs, these, these tech industries tend to cluster. There's value in what economists call clusters. And if you already have a whole lot of high-tech operations in a location, it makes it easier for you to attract more. It makes you an attractive uh, target, an, att an attractive place for people locating uh, future high-tech operations, in part because you have that pool of talent. You have that 
pool of, of, of well-trained employees. And if you're, you're not part of that cluster, if you don't have a cluster, it, it gets harder and harder to attract some of those uh, desirable types of jobs. And what we see is that a, uh, an area like Austin, Texas or an area like Silicon Valley, but of course there they got the cost of living problem. An area like Salt Lake City, an area like Raleigh, North Carolina, an area like Northern Virginia, those places have become huge, huge centers of high-tech employment. We haven't. They've beaten us out. And we really need to get serious about what Minnesota can do to make itself more competitive. And then the last point that was was, uh, raised there in, in the article uh, had to do with a reasonable cost of doing business. And that relates to taxes. It relates to regulations. It relates to the cost of energy. Uh, High-tech operations are often quite energy intensive. And in all of those areas, Minnesota, frankly, falls short. Our taxes are too high. Our regulations are too onerous. Our housing is too expensive. That's an important point. Um, and, and um, you know, if we want to compete – for, for the high-quality jobs that other metropolitan areas who've got a big head start on us are also trying to compete for. We, we, we can't just keep doing the same thing over and over again and expect that somehow we're going to get a different result because what we've seen is we keep getting the same results. The um, Amazon second campus was one of the biggest of these, of these high-tech uh, projects, 50,000 jobs, one of the biggest projects – that cities have ever competed for. Tremendously valuable. Would have been an, an unbelievable boon to the Twin Cities. But the Twin Cities didn't even make the list of 20 finalists. We put in some kind of a bid, but we were not one of the 20 cities that ultimately are being considered for Amazon's 50,000 job second campus. We saw with the Foxconn uh, project that that went to Wisconsin. I don't know if, Wisconsin, if Minnesota even tried for that. But that's an enormous project that wound up uh, next door in Wisconsin. So, so I think all of us in Minnesota need to be thinking about how competitive are we really? Is our economy really as strong as we often think that it is? And if we're not where we want to be, if we're not winning these competitions, if we're not growing, if we're not attracting high, high, uh, highly paid people from other states, what can we do? to make ourselves more competitive? That's a very, very important question. We are going to go to a break, and when we come back, we are going to be joined by uh, Senate candidate Karen Housley. Welcome back to the Esme Murphy Show. I'm John Hinderocker filling in for Esme tonight. We are expecting to be joined in just a moment or two uh, by Karen Housley, Republican Senate uh, candidate in uh, this November's election. We've got a number of, uh, of very interesting races going on. we got the primaries on August 13th, I believe it is. Uh, Tina Smith, uh, the incumbent senator, and Richard Painter going to be fighting it out in the, in the DFL uh, primary on that day. Uh, we reached out actually to Tina Smith tonight as well. She was not able to be with us, but I'm hoping to uh, to get her on the show later in the summer if uh, if possible. So uh, that race, uh, Karen Housley against either uh, Tina Smith or or Richard Painter, 
uh, shapes up as a, as a very interesting one. Uh, we've also got uh, a second Senate race. Of course, Amy Klobuchar is up for re-election. It's extraordinarily rare for a state to have both of its Senate seats uh, being voted on in the same election. They're, they're, they're uh, staggered, of course, so that, that that won't happen. And this is the result of the resignation of Al Franken. That's why the seat that he, um, he formerly had, which is now held by uh, Senator Tina Smith, is up for election um, this November. We've also got some very big house races. In the the 8th District, the Republicans are hoping for a takeaway with uh, Pete Stauber running for an open seat. Uh, Rick Nolan, of course, uh, having retired from the House of Representatives. In the uh, 1st District, likewise, uh, Jim Hagedorn is hoping to uh, get across the finish line this time uh, with – uh, Tim Walls, uh, having resigned from Congress to uh, to run for governor. So we've got some very, very interesting races. And then, of course, the Democrats are planning on mounting strong challenges against uh, Jason Lewis and perhaps uh, Eric Paulson. All right. We are joined now by Karen Housley. Senator Housley, thanks for being on the program. Thanks so much for having me. So, so, uh, Senator, you have been, uh, a parade demon. It seems like every time I turn around, I'm seeing you in a parade. Have you been doing more of that today? Yes, I have. I started out the day down at, um, Treasure Island. Prairie Island had a powwow, powwow today. So, uh, I went and did that and then went up to Lindstrom and I just finished the parade there. And now I'm, I actually just stopped at the gas station to grab a pizza to go home. And that's, that's what I do on Saturday night. Well, I'm glad to hear that you are uh, that you're eating well. You know, yeah. one of the nice things about attending all these events, parades, and so on, is you do get a terrific opportunity to talk to voters, to talk to Minnesotans. And and what are you hearing from the voters? What are they telling you? There is such a great response on the ground, and it's really exciting. And and you know, you even go into some cities that are that are pretty Democrat or normally pretty Democrat, and uh, there is a lot of excitement for what's happening in the country and in our state right now. Uh, People are keeping more of their money in their pocket. Unemployment's both been 18 years. They've got smiles on their faces. Um, it's you're getting really, really good response. So it's kind of fun. So, so in general, you're finding that uh, Minnesotans uh, feel like things are going pretty well. Minnesotans feel like things are going pretty well. And I was telling somebody today, uh, you know, not everybody in the state loves Donald Trump, but even like my sister, who is a single mom of three admits that you know what I don't I don't love Donald Trump but I do really really uh, agree agree that things are working his policies that are in place um, she was a big Hillary Clinton fan and she was in mourning for the longest time ever and she she's come around and she said okay I get it I am I have you know these three young kids and I'm keeping more money in my pocket so uh, so and that's kind of the sentiment that's out there is even if they didn't vote for the president. They're seeing all of the things that he's been getting done in the last year and a half that, that it feels good and, and they're feeling it. So I haven't, I haven't heard anything bad. No, I'm not going to knock on wood, but it's been, it's been really a lot of fun in the, and on the ground that Minnesotans are really happy with the way things are going. What are the issues that you're hearing the most about from voters? Is it the economy? Is it immigration? Is it uh, health care? Is it education? What, what are you hearing the most about? Um, most it's jobs in the economy, you know, and, and it's, it's they're they're happy with the way it's going. The other one that I do get a lot, and depending on which area of the state that that you're in, 
is the tariffs and, and what is the president doing in negotiating these tariffs and is there going to be this trade war? Um, and you go up to the Iron Range and, you know, they've, they've been, uh, getting the shaft for years because of China dumping all the steel into our country and not good for those up in the 8th district up on the Iron Range. And so they welcome the tariffs, yet, you know, you've got the, the farmers across the state who are really worried. Agriculture is the backbone of, of our, our state. And, you know, they're really worried about our, our, is there going to be, uh, continued tariffs on, on their exports. So that's the one that, that, you know, and, and I can only say that, you know, the, the president and his administration are working, uh, you know, day in, day out on it. And hopefully there comes a resolution here soon and it's full. And we're going to have to get Congress to act on it. Yeah, it's really interesting, Senator. I mean, uh, the, the, the danger, obviously, is a major trade war. I don't think anybody really wants that. But mm-hmm. uh, this is a situation where a lot of things had been let, had been let slide. Uh, things like uh, China's misappropriation of intellectual property. I mean, they're getting away with mm-hmm. billions and billions and billions of uh, ill-gotten gains by, by stealing our intellectual property. And we have an administration now that finally is trying to do something about it. So so let's hope that they can uh, get some results. They can revise some economic arrangements and, and do some benefit to, to the American people without actually having to go through a prolonged uh, trade war. And it's been unfair for, for so long and, and um Trump's administration isn't the first one who has said it, but he's the first one who's actually doing something about it. And I think that's what uh, that's what you're hearing on the ground is, wow, he's really doing what he said he was going to do. And that was one of them. And he said, this has been this has been unfair for years, and now it's about time for other countries to start bucking up. So uh, it's it's but it's true. Let's just hope that he gets something done that's fair for everybody in Minnesota. We're talking with Karen Housley, uh, Republican candidate for the United States uh, Senate. Senator Housley, you are not a lifelong politician. Uh, you got into this game relatively late. Um, how do you feel about that? Is that does that turn out to be a, a plus or a minus in your view? Um, well, I think it's a plus because when you're out there and, and you own your own small business, and you, I, I never, I never ran for anything before I ran for the Minnesota Senate. Um, you're so busy with taking care of your family and your, your kids and your job and, and getting them to their soccer and their hockey and their dance practice that I, I never went to school board or city council. So when I jumped to the Minnesota Senate, it brought a whole new, fresh uh, world of ideas um, and a different way of at working at things. And I, even in the Minnesota Senate, when I would question things, they would say, well, that's just the way we've always done it. And I, I thought, well, that's great. That's just the way you've always done it. But you know, I'm here now. Could we try something different? Because if you operate a government the way that the business owners operate their businesses, you guys would be out of business a long time ago. So I think um, it, it, it's a little bit frustrating when you get answers like that or they continue to do things you know, old school. But I think it really does bring fresh ideas uh, to the table and a, and a different set of eyes and a, a different work ethic. You've been in the Minnesota Senate for how many years now? Six years. And what would you tick off as, as significant accomplishments of yours uh, during that time? Uh, one of the biggest one was really pushing for uh, an aging and long-term care committee. Um, there are so many of our baby boomers that are now turning 65 and older that my mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's eight years ago. And really going through that process with my mom and my dad and moving her, she's now in the final stage, the very late stages of Alzheimer's, um, being an advocate for that generation 
there was nothing in the Minnesota Senate. So when the Republicans took the majority in 2016, I said, please, please, please let me have an aging and long-term care committee and deal with the issues that are facing our seniors. So that was the, the biggest thing. And then, you know, that's exactly what we did for the last two years. We uncovered the, the failures of the Dayton Smith administration, how they really let our seniors down that were living in nursing homes and failed to investigate wrongdoings and people were dying across the state. So holding holding Governor Dayton and his administration accountable for, for their failures was another one of my, my great accomplishments that I'm going to continue to push even when I'm in D.C. So um, I think we mentioned that the primary um, election is on, is it the 13th of August this year? 14th. 14th of August. Okay, I'm a day off. And... Um, you can vote early, though. <laughs> you can vote early. That's exactly right. I'm sure a lot of, of our listeners are going to be doing that. The The primary in the DFL side is pretty interesting because the incumbent Senator Tina Smith is being challenged by Richard Painter, a guy who mm-hmm. says he was once a Republican, uh, who actually worked for a while in the George W. Bush administration, uh, now has become a, a very bitter critic of the Trump administration, and um, – and a mainstay on MSNBC television is is uh, is running for the DFL Senate nomination against Tina Smith. What do you make of that race? Well, it's the Democrats. This is this is the first time in in a while that I've seen all Republicans in line with the same message. And then you look at the other side of the ticket, especially here in Minnesota, the Democrats um, aren't united on their message, and there's a lot of chaos happening within their party. But I feel the, my, my, I grew up a Democrat. My parents were Democrats. But the, the Democrat Party of even 10 years ago, but 20 years ago, has left those Democrats. And, and my parents, the Kennedy Kennedy area Democrats would now era Democrats would now be Republican. So you're seeing it happen in the Tina Smith Richard Painter race, the primary that they have. And Tina Smith doesn't really know who she is. She's trying to figure out which Democrats are her base and. <laughs> She, she never was with the Iron Age Democrats, but she tried that again and, and tried to tried to say she was for the mining up there when they saw right through that for eight years while she worked for Governor Dayton. She never helped the mining uh, folks out. So then she decided to go back to the, the far-left uh, Bernie Sanders, Keith Ellison uh, uh, Democrats, and she went to a rally yesterday with Bernie Sanders and Keith Ellison at First Avenue in Minneapolis, and she got booed by them. And people were yelling, vote Richard Painter. So it's going to be very interesting who comes out on, on that side uh, and who I'll be running against in the November election. Wow, that's very interesting. Well, for now, uh, Senator, let's just assume that the race uh, turns out to be you against Tina Smith. And, and maybe it's no different if it's Richard Painter. What do you think are going to be the, the main differences, the main, the main issues voters are going to have to look at uh, in, in that race? Well, I think that the main issue, uh, the main differences between myself and Tina Smith is she's been a, a lifelong uh, political operative. Uh, she worked for three years as Governor Dayton's lieutenant governor, then four years as the chief of staff, four years as uh, Mayor Ryback's chief of staff. Um, she's a very, very metro area liberal elite Democrat. And then myself, I, I haven't been in politics that long. I'm a small business owner. Uh, I'm really, really fighting for our businesses and our, our small businesses to help create more jobs and keep the economy going. Um, since she was in D.C., she's been obstructing everything that the president's trying to do. Uh, uh, just a puppet of Chuck Schumer, just a, a chief obstructionist, continues 
when he, the president named his uh, nominee for the Supreme Court, Tina Smith, I mean, it was not even minutes later she was uh, heading up a rally uh, to oppose his nomination. So she's opposed everything that he's done. So she's not, we're in two different camps. I like what's happening on the ground here. I want to continue to create more jobs and help our economy. And she's an obstructionist. So we're, we're really, really two completely different candidates. I'm glad you mentioned the Supreme Court, Senator, because uh, that's going to be getting, getting a lot of attention uh, between now and the, and the fall. Well, what's your impression of the nominee, uh, Brett Kavanaugh? I think Judge Kavanaugh is a, a, an excellent pick. He's got a, a really impressive resume, and he's um, decided cases in, in uh, the right way. He, he looks at the case, and he upholds the rule of law and, and our Constitution. And we're looking for you know, a Supreme Court justice. So I think he was an excellent pick for uh, the president. Very disappointing and that Tina Smith came out without even meeting the man, without even hearing, because he has to still call before the Judiciary Committee, without even seeing any of the questions that he'll be asked in Judiciary Committee, he immediately opposed him. So I think he was an excellent pick, and I think he will do great things for this country. Karen Housley, thank you very much uh, for being on the program. We appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great night. We're going to go to a break here in just a moment, um, and then we'll have a final segment this hour and a final segment for the show. Uh, if you want to weigh in on uh, that Senate race we were just talking about uh, between uh, Karen Housley and either uh, Tina Smith or Richard Painter, comment on any of those candidates or any of the other races here in Minnesota, or if you'd like to talk about mining, uh, which we uh, discussed for the First two hours of the show are about uh, Minnesota's competitiveness and how we can improve it, which we which we talked about for a couple of segments. Any of those topics, it's a free-for-all, open mic. If you want to be heard, give us a call. In the metro area, the number is 651-989-9226. Out in greater Minnesota, it's toll-free, 866-989-9226. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back for the final segment of the Esme Murphy Show with John Hinderocker filling in tonight. Uh, during the last break, uh, you know, we were talking earlier in the program about um, about economic development and making Minnesota more competitive and the reasons why people move from one place to another. And there's a lot of factors, jobs obviously being a key one. But uh, our producer, Shaletta Brundage, uh, had some ideas about that. And I said, well, Shaletta, <laughs> let's go on the air and talk about this because uh, people, some people have got like just about opposite ideas of what constitutes a good climate. Shaletta, wh- wh- where are you from? I am originally from Houston, Texas, and my husband and I moved here in 2004 in November. And I have to tell you, uh, I came to work for Hubbard Broadcasting and they told me how wonderful the city was and I believed them and they paid me good money and gave me a good job and I got here and the cold was too much for me to take. And I think a lot of times when we do this research and we check these polls and we look at education and background and jobs and availability, you can get the most educated person here to work, but if it is too cold and they can't take it, they're gone. 
How about your husband? Was he a Texan too? Where was no, he from? No, he's from the Midwest. He's from uh, a little town right outside of Cleveland. So this was great for him. Uh, he loved okay. the snow. But an old Southern girl like me who had never seen snow before and who had never been in a climate that was cold enough to make you feel like your teeth were going to freeze out. <laughs> I was ready to go back to Texas every day for three months. And I think people underestimate that the weather here in Minnesota plays a major factor in not only who comes, but who comes and stays. Now, Shletta, I got to tell you, though, I understand what you're saying. And you're, you're not the only one, believe me. I know. I'm glad. I'm glad your husband kept you here. But, you know, there are some people who care about weather but who see it the other way. Now, one of my daughters and her husband are now living in Austin, Texas. Oh, yeah. For, a good town for young couples. Oh, Great town for young couples. They love it. It's a wonderful ta- uh, town for young couples. And they've just bought a house and moved in, and they're furnishing it, oh, having beautiful. a wonderful time. Yeah. Uh, and I go down there to visit them. But uh-huh. I'll tell you, I have the same problem with Texas that you have with Minnesota. What problem is that? It's, it's not too cold. It's too hot. <laughs> it's too hot. We were down there like in, uh, oh, man, what was it? Like like May. Okay? Oh, it was 110. Just, just easy. beginning to warm up. And my wife and I walking down the street. <laughs> Sweat Looking like somebody was thing. pouring buckets oh. of water on your head. We, we have to find a cool spot and have a beer. You know, I mean, <laughs> it was too hot. And I talked to my daughter about what it's like down there in the summer when it oh gets to God. be July and August. You don't. If you can't take May, you cannot. August would kill you. No way. If I if I lived in Texas, mm-hmm. I think I'd be gone midway through the first summer. There's some things. That a person just can't take. In your case, it's cold. It's the cold. In my case, it's heat. I'll tell you one more thing I what? can't take. What? Uh, Shalotta, I, I also have a brother who uh-huh. lives in Salt Lake City. Okay. And one day on our family website, he posted a photograph mm-hmm. of a rattlesnake. Oh, no. Sitting on the back step, the step to the back door of his house. And he said he was going to go out the back door, uh-huh. open the door. And what do you know? There is a rattlesnake. Just hanging out. A rattlesnake. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes, just chilling. Just chilling. I would chilling have been terrified. On his step. And I he, I can't remember how he dealt with it. I don't think he even killed it. He had some scheme to get rid of it. I said, you know, if that happened to me, if I saw a rattlesnake on the back step of my house, I would go out into my front yard. And I would pound a sign into the ground. <laughs> oh, you and, made my side hurt. <laughs> and, 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 and the sign would say, for sale. And I would get in my car and I would start driving north. And I wouldn't stop until I got to a place where there are no rattlesnakes. And he had the wherewithal and the mindset to take a picture and post it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he's a yeah. special guy, your brother, I tell you. <laughs> So, you know, it's different things for different people. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I got to tell you, even in Minnesota, the heat bothers me more than the cold. These last really? hot, muggy days we've had, I would much rather have January weather than the weather we've had here for the last uh, And see, last nobody week. told me when I first moved here, there's some kind of condition that you can actually get depressed if you don't see the sunlight for so many days. Oh, yeah. And I think I had that when I first came here because by February, I was like crawling around under the table. 
That's I can't think of what the name of that is. Seasonal affective disorder. Okay. All and right. uh, you know, you, you could always like just go to a tanning booth or something like that. Does that work? I don't know. Honestly, I don't I'm not, know. I'm not sure. If but that... I was just happy to see the sunset, sunshine when it came. <laughs> well, Shaletta, I guess we got some people coming and some people going. Uh, and I guess all of us wind up where we are best suited to be. That's going to be a wrap for tonight's show. Thank you all for listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 